UNLV plays at New Mexico on Saturday, 5 p.m. start. You can hear it right here on ESPN Las Vegas. And here are your fun facts. UNLV has won nine of the last ten games against New Mexico. Six of those nine wins, including one this year, are by double digits. All right, still, uh, you still laying What 10? would cause you me to change? 10? What would cause me to because change? Because you should. No. <laughs> yes. Ed, I've seen it for, for five years in a no. row now. It doesn't matter how good New Mexico is. You need to take all your money that you're going to bet on the Chiefs. That's a good point. And go and put it on. Well, but I don't think you can do that. What? Bet I, on UNLV yet? Yeah, I don't think you can do that. What? Tease the points up to UNLV minus 10 and a half? Nine and a half? I want to do a nine and a half. I'm, I, uh, what, what's, have, what's, what did you say? Oh, Ken Palm at Ken Palm at 11. Oh, New Mexico 11. by 11. Okay. And I'm telling you, UNLV by double digits. All right. So it's going to your happen. money. New Mexico is 19 in Ken Palm. UNLV is 99. Right. It's quite a big difference. Ken Palm likes New Mexico. <laughs> yes, because we talked about it. They're, this is the first year. Well, not the first year, but this first year in a while that they've actually been good defensively. Right. Like, they're one of the top 30 defensive teams by Ken Palm metrics so far this year, and normally they're either bad or below average defensively. They've been really good defensively this year, so that's one of the big reasons why they've climbed so high in Ken Palm ratings. But it doesn't matter. They play UNLV, they lose. We, ju- we just watched it. We just watched it two, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whatever it was. They got crushed. We were like, oh, my God, UNLV's an NCAA tournament-looking team. And then they lost Air Force for 32. Forget about that. They're playing New Mexico. They're going to win. There's no doubt about it. You sense any give up in the locker room? Hell no. What kind of questions that, Phil? Devontae Adams is excited about Luke Getze. Uh, Luke Getze was on the staff in Green Bay when Adams was there. Devontae Adams said, quote, that was a good feeling. Knowing a guy that I've worked with, I know how he works, I know how his mind works, and we've had success together, so it's definitely exciting. That's uh, quotes thanks to Paul Gutierrez of ESPN. Do you think the Raiders asked Devontae Adams about Getze? Absolutely. You think so? I mean, they would have been silly not to, given that he worked under him and they knew him. I mean, there is a chance they didn't know that. Well... We know who didn't know that. Ken Hirock didn't Ken, ask about the Broncos. No, he didn't ask about When it was Broncos. McDaniels. Um, so there's a chance they that, didn't realize good, it. That's a good point. Until afterwards. Right. Oh, and what a great also, idea. There's also a chance. Well, no, because they had hired Cliff Kinsbury, and it just didn't work yeah. out. And it didn't work didn't out. So, and they went to Getsky, like, right after that. Like, they two, did? Within two minutes, they called him. So maybe there's a chance that they didn't ask him. Or, and then remembered afterwards, oh, man, we, we hired this guy. We really hope Devontae likes him. Surely... Before the Kingsbury fake hiring, they asked Devontae about Getze. Like, when they interviewed Getze the first time, I'm assuming there was a conversation with Devontae Adams about, hey, what would you think of the guy? Because if Adams comes in and says, that guy, no, he didn't know what he was talking about. He was just along for the ride. Then they would say, oh, all right, maybe we shouldn't hire him. But if he was like, yeah, Got to go to Chip Kelly. Yeah, should have gone to Chip Kelly. That would have been more fun, too. But uh, Getze did coach Devontae Adams. He was... Getsy was a few different. He was a wide receivers coach at one point, quarterbacks coach at one point in Green Bay. So he was Devontae Adams' position coach once, but not for the entire time, but was on the offensive staff there. So we'll see. We'll see how Luke Getsy goes for the Raiders. But we've talked uh, about it. We don't know. I mean, he could he could end up great, and but we've talked about the numbers, and you can't sit here and say one way or the other at this point. Yeah. I mean, you'd shade towards depending on who the quarterback is, it might not be good. Yeah, and here's the other part about that. When Adams is like, we had success together, Yeah, Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback. Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback. So, you know, they're not going to have Aaron Rodgers here in Green Bay, or excuse me, here in Vegas. So, yeah, that success might not mean a whole lot. Yeah, it's a good question. Bo Hardegree is going to be the Titans quarterback coach. He was the interim offensive coordinator for the Raiders after Josh McDaniels was fired. 
they made the change to Hardigree. They also went to Aiden O'Connell at quarterback. Do you think Bo Hardigree got screwed? By having to take him over and call plays for the first time in his life? And it was with Aiden O'Connell at quarterback? I mean, I think he got what he got was an opportunity. And he proved but he got it, it with Aiden O'Connell. Set. Well, AOC didn't, you know, other than the not completing a pass after two minutes left in the first <laughs> quarter against the Kansas City Chiefs and winning the game. Um, he had some, AOC had some good games. <sighs> I mean, not really. Aiden O'Connell wasn't horrible. He's one of the worst five quarterbacks in the league last year. By I every, think, I don't think he was horrible. By I, PFF I don't think had him as a bottom I think five. Bo Hardigree had an opportunity, and it didn't work out for him. Yeah, but I'm saying he got screwed because it was it was with Aiden O'Connell. So he did, so he's the offensive coordinator today. If Jimmy Garoppolo was his coach, not necessarily, but that was his shot. And like how we're doing with Luke Getze, and we're like, okay, well, what was his shot as OC? It didn't go very well. If that was the case with Aiden O'Connell and Luke Getze right now, that wouldn't be very good. So that's the situation. But you got Luke Getze and you've got Aiden O'Connell out here as the quarterback with Bo Hardigree, and it's not ideal. Valid question for sure. The 49ers were woken up at 6 a.m. on Thursday morning. The fire alarm went off. At the Hilton Lake Las Vegas. Who did this? Went off for 18 minutes. Wow. Now, the all the stories have said they did not have to evacuate because they quickly identified it was a false alarm, but they didn't quickly turn it off because it went off for 18 minutes. Um, Christian McCaffrey told ESPN, I think there's no way it's random. It's part of it. It's just more wood thrown on the fire. Oh, he's talking smack. Nick Bosa said, I'm sure somebody did it. It kind of reminded me of Philly when they had this construction going on outside. It was early in the morning, and they were, like, demolishing a bridge right outside of our hotel. We haven't had the best luck, but no excuses. Is this what uh, Boomer Sison said to get them out to Arizona? <laughs> Is this why he said they need to be in Arizona? Because fire like, alarms don't go off in Arizona. Um, Joe Buck, uh, something's going to happen out there. We don't know what, but something's happening. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to be out there. Uh, come okay, on. they are crybabies. Yeah. So the alarm went off at six a.m. The story ESPN wrote was like George Kittle's alarm goes off. His alarm to get up goes off at six fifteen. So you lost 15 minutes well, of sleep. Calm yeah, down. Yeah, and not only that, you, a lot of these guys are, I'm the first one at the facility. Right. I'm I'm working out every day, taking care of my body. That's where I'm at. So if that's the case, then the 6 o'clock shouldn't have right. been that big of a deal it to was, you. It was 6 a.m. It was not 3 a.m. Yeah. It was 6 a.m. You're getting up soon anyway. And this whole, there's no way it was random. Like, come on. And by the way, Bosa being like, they were demolishing a bridge outside our hotel. Do you think that, man, the city of Philadelphia is on top of it if they specifically planned a bridge, bridge demolition for the, the when the 49ers were going to be in town? If they did that, that town yeah, is all the in. That we're not anywhere close to a good host no. for city for an NFL team if that's what Philly did. So, it eh, calm down, 49ers. Complaining about your soft field and the shut up. Go play some football on Sunday and see if you can win a Super Bowl and stop crying. Uh, and and, and I, I understand the question. Mike Zimmer will Danny. be the Cowboys' new defensive coordinator. Zimmer, head coach of the Vikings uh, for from 2014 to 2021. 
Actually, 72-56-1 was his record. Yeah. Was better yeah, than I kind of thought. Um, they didn't really have any bad years. Their bad years were like 7-9 type bad. Um, went to the playoffs three times, got to the NFC Championship game once. That was as far as they went. But he hasn't worked in the NFL the last two seasons. Right. He had one stint as a college like analyst, assistant type thing. But he hasn't worked in the NFL for two years in a row. Is this a good hire? When I first saw it, I wasn't jumping over the chair. <laughs> Danny, I don't know what you thought, but uh, who? Um, you know, I I like it better than Rex Ryan. Okay. I don't know what that really says. Yeah. I mean, but that they they interviewed him as well. I like it. I liked I liked it better than Rex Ryan. I think Mike Zimmer is a good coach. He had eye issues. I think. Yes, did he? he did. He like, had eye issues. Like yeah, he had, uh, can't see. There was uh, like a detached retina. Yeah, he detached retina. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, exactly. God. Do you remember like, that? Those sound, we, we did that. There were like two people in the span of like three months that had detached retinas that we talked about, and it just sounds like the worst thing. Oh, what the hell horrible. is a detached retina? That just sounds terrible. Your eyes, what's falling out? Yeah. That sounds like the worst thing you could be dealing with. Okay, so can you see now? I think so. I hope he's going to be up in the booth. <laughs> Ed, would you have been happier had they pushed harder for Vrabel? Because I did see reports that they were interested. I think I would have been happier with him. He's He's been in the league recently. Would Vrabel have taken a D.C. job for a coach who has one year left on his contract? Yes, because it would have fast-tracked him to head coach possibly next year. For well, I if mean, McCarthy gets fired, Vrabel's yeah, not going to have done a good job. Vrabel wouldn't have been... This whole idea Vrabel that a coach have been the guy if, if McCarthy yeah. got fired, Danny. The whole idea that a that a coach is going to get fired and the coordinator is going to take over. If if the coach gets fired because they suck, they're not going to give it to the court. The only people who do that are the Patriots because they're delusional. Danny, it's going to be Belichick anyway. Yeah, Belichick and Vrabel, head coach, co-head coach, co-head coach. <laughs> oh, co-head coach. <laughs> what, you just what making are you up positions? About? Yep, just making them up. <laughs> There's no longer. Coach. It's not assistant head coach anymore. It's co-head coach. <laughs> What is this, Michigan when Jim Harbaugh suspended? And they got one guy coached the first half against UNLV and one guy coached the second half? Exactly. Next question. The NBA trade deadline was yesterday. Who won the battle between uh, Charm and Woj? Do we know? I don't know. I was, that was, I the was battle not yesterday. paying a whole lot of attention. But nothing like important happened. Right. So maybe nobody like, won the there battle. There were a lot of trades, but... Nothing, Nothing of, of consequence. Didn't um, the Knicks do some stuff? Yeah, they, they added Alec Burks and uh, Bogdanovich from the Pistons. Uh, Bogdanovich, good shooter. Burks is actually a, a pretty decent player, but I don't know if it's anything significant. The, the thing that I thought was most interesting, the 76ers, they acquired Buddy Heald from the Pacers. They made a couple of other trades as well. For this season, Buddy Heald's a really good shooter. He's not a great defender. Sixers, maybe they get Joel Embiid back, and it ha- they're a really good three-point shooting, shooting team already. Right. Helps their spacing if they get Embiid back. But what's more interesting is next year, the 76ers technically have one contract on the books for next season. Joel? Yes. Now, Tyrese Maxey is going to get an extension, right. He's gonna get so a lot of they'll money. have their two best. And then there's also Paul Reed, who apparently his contract becomes guaranteed if they make the second round and he plays so many games. So they might have a third in Paul Reed, but it's like $7 million. It's not a significant amount. Where'd they move Pat Beverly to? Oh, God, I already forgot. I'm blanking on where it's because they did trade Pat Beverly away too. But basically the Sixers set themselves up for this offseason. They can do whatever they want, right? Like they're going to have as much space as just about anybody. Embiid and Maxi obviously are going to make a lot of money. But they can do effectively whatever they want. And if they can convince themselves 
or maybe a well, free agent or something. others to come play with Embiid. That Embiid is going to be healthy He'll and that this, healthy. Right. this works. Exactly. And we'll see if he comes back. That could convince people if he comes back and plays, plays well. Plays really well, and they, and they do well in the playoffs. Right. But they could do just about anything they want. in the. They could blow it up, too. They could decide, all right, it's not going to work with Embiid. We need to blow it up. But they are in a pretty um, a lot of flexibility for this season, or I should say for next season because of the trades they made and how many times or how many expiring contracts they added yesterday. Pat Beverly got traded to the Bucks for Robin Lopez. Thank the you. The Bucks took on Pat Beverly. Yeah. And I don't know really? if you guys saw it, but yesterday, I believe it was, uh, Robin Lopez, after he found out he got traded, he was sitting behind the bench reading a book during the game. <laughs> oh, man. Robin Lopez got traded from the Bucks. How much has he been to playing? To the Sixers? Yeah. I wonder how much he's well, actually Well, if he's reading playing. a book on the bench, he's not playing much. It was not during the game. That's what no, I, he was. That's, that, that, Danny, didn't you just say that? Was it during the game? Yeah, no. he was He was behind the bench reading a book during the game. No, it wasn't during the game, was it? I thought I saw that picture. It looked like he was like there was nobody around him. Oh, because I, uh, I watched a video of him like flipping the pages, and there were people Well, let's next just to say him. it was during the game because okay. that's a lot better story. He's reading a book during the game. He's it reading a book during great. the game. It sounds better. All right, coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas Live from Radio Row, we caught up with Greg Ellis, a former Cowboy. It's the Press Box, live from Radio Row, brought to you by the Vegas Lawyers, a division of Paul Pata Law. We are out at Radio Row at the Mandalay Bay Convention Center, and joining us now is Greg Ellis played uh, most of his career for the Cowboys. You got one year in there with the Raiders. One year with the Raiders, man. It was a great year. Not, not record-wise, we didn't win as much <laughs> as I wanted us to win. But, you know, it was a great time in my life, man. The Raiders organization is amazing. Um, it, it really is. Okay, from that perspective, uh, even though you only played there one year, what's it like to you to see that organization now in Las Vegas? Yeah. To be honest with you, it was scary because I cared about the Raiders because, you know, Al Davis was a good man to me, and he's he's been a tremendous man for the NFL, in my opinion, too, and for the Raiders. But, you know, so I was like, man, it seems like it's going to be tough for the guys, for the players, because there's so many things in Vegas that one could do. Uh, but they've done a great job. The Raiders organization has structured the team really, really well, transitioning to moving to a place such as Vegas. It's been tremendous, man. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're winning some games and stuff. So it's, it's been great, I think, the transition has. But hindsight, you know, when I was with the Raiders and yep. I started hearing about this talk, I was actually fearful. I was like, <laughs> it's going to be really exciting, but what is going to happen with the football team? <laughs> uh, I got to ask you something about your career. Okay. Um, I'll be honest, I was about seven or six years old okay. when you got drafted, so I didn't see this. But okay. looking this up. You scored two touchdowns in the same season of 87 and 90-something. 90 90, 98, yeah. 98 yep, yards. Yep. How, yeah. how were those two for you? That was great. It was great, man. <laughs> you know, because my, it was my second year. Okay. So I was on my second year to the NFL, and as a defensive end, you know, uh, you, you I think the first one was the – I don't know which one came first. Was it the 87 or the 98? Did, did I don't, say, I don't okay. know which one was first. I just but, saw both of them the same yeah, year. Yeah, right. But here's the thing. And they were back-to-back. Meaning one game, then the next game, the other one took place. But here's a quick story behind it. You know, I'm a I'm defensive end, and so to run 87 yards, especially 98 yards, fast as you can, you know, I was tired. And so the first one I get to the end zone, I fall into the end zone. I'm dead tired. You know, go to the sideline, finding the oxygen. Then Troy Aikman, you know Troy, he's our, he was our quarterback yep, that year. Yep. Troy comes over to me. He says, Greg, hey, man, make sure you enjoy it because it will never happen again. <laughs> 
<laughs> and, you know, I'm thinking, well, that's not something I thought you should say to me right now, Troy. Um, let me enjoy this moment. But, you know, he was right. You know, defensive end, defensive yeah. lineman, that doesn't too much happen. So the very next game, man, you know, Arizona, they fumble the ball. I pick it up. Blessed take it in for another touchdown. Now, I am dead tired, right? But instead of going through the oxygen, you know, first thing is on my mind. Troy? Go find Troy Aikman. <laughs> and so I walk up to Troy, and I said, uh, Troy, I thought you said it never happened again. <laughs> and he just laughed at it. But uh, so, yeah, that was, that was the unique story about those two touchdowns. Okay, I got to know. You, go, you score from over 80 yards. Okay. You scoring means there's a kick, an extra point to kick off, and then the defense is back on the field. Yes. You, get, you get any plays off on that next drive? You know what? I, so I try to go back out there, and my body said no. <laughs> Literally, I, I was thinking, I was like, I'm all right, I'll be all right. I'm a young player. <laughs> I go back out there, man, and I remember it, man. My calf muscles started cramping up and everything. I was like, I can't do it. I, you're going to have to take me out for a while. So, uh, no, I could not go back out there and play instantly. I had to kind of rest up a little bit, and I played some more of that game. But really, you know, this is something interesting, right? When defensive linemen run that far that long and that fast, I kind of done for the whole game, to be honest with you, man. I, my production, like, tanked out. It's like, hey, man, I hope that was enough to help us win. I did my part because I can't do too much more out here. So, yeah, it was tough. Greg Ellis with us, uh, my co-host, who's not here right now, but he is a big Cowboys fan. Okay. But he is also like a, you know, thinks they're never going to actually come through. Yeah. I spent the whole year telling them they were going to win the Super Bowl. So oh, wow. he ended up being right, or right and I was wrong yeah. this whole time. When do the Cowboys do it again? Is there, When do they actually break through in the playoffs? Hey, you know what? Wins? I have fallen. <laughs> this is a joke. I've fallen into the illusion. <laughs> I've been hypnotized to say, we're going to get it next year. <laughs> no, but I really feel that way. I think, you know, we're knocking at the door. Um, they, being, were, they were great. And, and that's what I'm saying, being 12 and 5. But what we have to learn, here's what we got to do. We have to learn from that mistake. Uh, and, and I don't take anything away from Green Bay, but I think we were – when I say we, meaning the Cowboys, were too comfortable going into that game. The media in the world put Green Bay back against the wall, and Green Bay came out swinging to say, hey, man, I know Dallas is good, but, you know, we ain't no softies either. You know what I mean? So they came out with a bigger chip on their shoulder. The Cowboys, we didn't have a chip on our shoulder. We've already, in my opinion, and, and, and again, Players won't tell you that yep. because it's never intentional. Yep. You don't think you don't go into a game so we're just going to breeze through these guys. But the evidence shows that, right? You know what I mean? I mean, they ran through us like butter going through – I mean, like a knife cutting through butter. <laughs> um, so I, I think hopefully the lesson has been learned with them still having enough time to keep the nucleus of the team together. But, you know – but you don't keep the nucleus together anymore because you lost your defensive coordinator. Yeah. So that's a big takeaway. I'm always curious uh, with former players, how much football do you watch? I don't watch as much as I want to watch, partly because, you know, we are doing – well, should be doing other stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now, the guys who work in the media, they still right. – that's right. their life is football. But for those of us that aren't coaching it or, you know, working in meet directly with, you know, commentating games and, and, and uh, sports analysts, you're doing something else. And so and then we have families. And so I don't get the opportunity to watch it as much as I would like to. Um, but, of course, you know, so I can't tailor my day to say, okay, I'm going to make sure I'm right. home to watch the Monday night kickoff. Right. If I got to. 
business meeting or something. I mean, matter of fact, you know, we do, uh, we, we're here talking about a movie. We've got a movie about mental health. Um, so you have to do other stuff, you know what I mean? So I would love, though, to be able to just sit and talk and watch football all day. But unfortunately, Jerry Jones stopped giving me a paycheck. So you have to transition and start doing other stuff. What is, what is the movie we got it, here, it's, My Dear? Yeah, it's called My Dear. It's a, it's a mental health movie. Um, people that want to come to it, you can come to it tonight. It starts at 6 o'clock. It's at a movie theater called Downtown Cinemas. Uh, the address is um, 814 South 3rd Street. Uh, it's on the second floor of the movie theater, so um, it's, it's a pretty good film, man. You know, we're doing a lot of stuff with mental health. We started a nonprofit just trying to help bring awareness to mental health, man. So please, you know, if you're listening to this broadcast, come on through. Again, it's um, Downtown Cinema at 814 South 3rd Street on the second floor of the movie theater. So just get there. Producer, how are you involved in it? I, I wrote it wrote and it. directed. Okay. Yeah, right. wrote it Look and directed. I do have a co-writer, but I write most of it out. And um, yeah, I call her up to go through it, make sure it's all lining up and making sense. Okay. All right. You played in the NFL. Yeah. We talked about you scoring touchdowns. Yes. What's better, writing and directing a movie and then getting to see it or you know, playing in the NFL and scoring a touchdown? Wow. I hate you asking me that question because both <laughs> of them are great, man. They were both – you know, football was a fun time in my life, but this is amazing too. Uh, but I still love football. I still – you know, I was coaching at a small college, um, so I still could do stuff like this. Um, so I, I love doing both of them. And, both, you know, football, of course, since the childhood, you know, wanted to play football and all that kind of stuff like most of us. Um, this right here, I didn't discover that I could even do it till, I, till after football, to be honest with you. And um, that, that people thought that I was, you know, okay or kind of good at doing it, you know. Um, so, yeah, love, love doing it. And it is good to see it on screen. It's like, wow, I remember when it didn't even exist and was, you know, struggling through the script and all that kind of stuff. But it's like a game, though, to be honest with you, because it's not just a given that you're going to write a good script. It's, it's really challenged to get a good script. And then even after you get a good script, to get what you have in that paper on the screen and, and shoot it is very challenging as well. So, yeah, it's, it's very challenging. So um, I'm, we screen it. It's about 98% finished. We've had two screenings, one in, both of them in that DFW area of Dallas, um, and people loved it so far. So this will be a different market out yeah. here, and so we'll see what the people think about it. But um, but so far, like I said, it it touches the points that you want to touch, right? This guy played football. When he played football, he was the perfect guy, you know, spending time with his family. When he stopped playing football, when his when he retired, he went totally opposite and became somebody totally different. And so the last screening we did back in Arlington, Texas. I'm sitting there and I'm listening to the audience. You know, they make their comments as the movie is playing. And so when it got accomplished, my goal got accomplished. This lady back there said, uh, man, he don't spend no more time with his family. <laughs> I was like, great. So it, it is challenging to do yeah. that because you can have it up here and you know what you're trying to say, but does it portray that way on the screen? And so it, it's, it's very gratifying when it does. Well, he is Greg Ellis again, played in the NFL yep. uh, with the Cowboys one year with the Raiders. One year, one amazing year with the Raiders. One amazing year with the Raiders. Yep. Greg, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Fun fact for you, Ed. Greg Ellis, defensive end for the Cowboys, has more 80-yard or longer touchdowns than Josh Jacobs does in his career. That is a fun fact. <laughs> and, and Breaking his, news. And his came in back-to-back -back games in his second season second in the season. NFL. Uh, coming up next, though,
Uh, we stopped uh, by with Chris Fowler yesterday. Now, back out to Radio Row with Tyler and Ed. We are now with Chris Fowler. Um, Chris, you're calling this game for an international audience. So the first thing I want to get to, it's your first Super Bowl that you're calling. Yes, it is. Does... I hope not the last. But it's, <laughs> They called me in the summer. I said, would you like to call the Super Bowl? I said, yeah, I think I'd, I'd be up for that. <laughs> and then they explained the situation. <laughs> Aussies, Kiwis, and anyone on a cruise ship. <laughs> Apparently, really gets you the speed. Gets so the speed. I, that's and I know the Aussie Kiwi crowd, by the way, because I've watched probably fifteen Super Bowls down there because I do the Australian Open and the game right. comes ah, right on after the tennis. Right. So on Monday morning, in a bar, I'll admit it, <laughs> in Sydney or Melbourne, I've watched a lot of Super Bowls along with the audience we're going to be talking to. So I know that audience, and I also know all about the punters because they, yes. you know, like when the Niners punt. The Australian crowd will go crazy. Mitch, Mitch is on the field. Mitch is, so I'm prepared to be excited every time the Chiefs get a, a stop because they've taken over college right. and they're coming for the NFL too, the Aussie punters. And I talk to them every time I'm down there covering tennis. I go out to this field and I watch these dudes kick the out of the ball and and talk to them about their dreams. And they're and Wisniewski is now living their dream. So it's right. pretty cool to think about half a world away 19 time zones from here there's people watching this game and young kids who are thinking now i could be there i could go do that if my aussie football career doesn't work out (laughs) okay what what time is it in Australia when the Super Bowl kicks off? It's a ten thirty Monday okay, morning. So not an insane like you got to get up at three no, a.m. No, to do no, it. No. Okay, and but it's, I watched some playoff games that started at five o'clock when I was down there for the tournament. <laughs> that was a little insane. But, and yeah. then okay, the cruise ship thing might be the most fascinating part of this. You're going to be the voice of the Super Bowl on cruise ships. <laughs> I want a list too. I want a researcher to give me a list exactly who are we talking to? Are you are you in the Cayman Islands? Are you in the South Pacific? Alaska? Yeah, really, Alaska. You, Absolutely. Who's taking a cruise in Alaska in the winter? Do they have those? I'm not sure. I wouldn't sign up for that. No, I wouldn't. I've taken uh, summers, but not winters. Um, I am curious because this is the first year you've called the NFL uh, total. Was there anything different for you? Because you've called plenty of games across your career. Was there anything different about calling NFL games compared to college or any other sport that you've done? A lot of things. Halftimes were quick. I forgot what times I was almost late for the third quarter because at college we're used to these long halftimes. You have side to – Go outside and take a nature break and eat a meal and you know, BS. Before you know it, they're, they're back playing the third quarter, which I like, by the way. Now, the rhythm of the game is so different. I mean, I, I had a blast doing it because Dan Orlovsky and Lewis Riddick and Laura are, are, are experts at this. I learned a lot about the league calling games with them because I've been an avid fan of the sport. And, and football at the highest level has always been interesting to me. But – we called it one-off games. Each of the last couple of years, we've done some Week 18 games. Kirk and I did on ESPN. So this is a, a bigger deal to do five games. We got to go to London to do a game. Right. Um, every play feels more precious, more valuable. As you guys know, there's fewer of them than in college. Right. Every third down, even something in the first quarter, like like Sunday here, the urgency kind of begins pretty early because these games go by so quick. And in college, thankfully, we're going away from the tempo era when everybody snaps the ball 90 times a game. Right. I, don't, I don't love calling games like that. And because the, the plays feel disposable, if you know what I mean, yeah. it, it's anything but that in, in the NFL. So I kind of like the fact that from the start, each play kind of means something. Each third down is sort of important. Each red zone trip is really important. 
How have you thought about the extended uh, conferences now in, in, in college football? I mean, what what's it going to be like? What's it going to be like next year? We're calling these games and these and USC's uh, you know out in the middle of the country. I think that some of that's kind of fun. I mean, we don't cover the Big Ten sadly because the way the sport has evolved, it's sort of a division yeah. between the two mega conferences, right? The SEC. And the Big Ten with the four West Coast pickups is really an interesting conference. I, I'm going to miss that we don't get to call those games. But I'm, I'm pretty excited to be calling the SEC with Texas and Oklahoma in there. But I, I think that it's moving towards you know two mega, mega conferences and everybody wants to be a part of the dollars. And it's going to be like the NFL. The 12-team bracket's going to be interesting. You're going to have plays or, or all these games down the stretch with playoff importance right. the way you have. And I, I don't know that you, you can't beat the NFL at its own game. So, so designing a model that feels to a lot of fans like NFL lights, I mean, that's been sort of what's freaked, freaked college purists out for a long time. It's like, wait a minute. So, so you can lose three games and, and still, still get in the playoff, playoff and, and be here and win it all. Like, in, in a way, that's kind of cool. Inclusion is a good reason to expand. Not having teams like Florida State left out, right. which was crappy for the sport. But... The reality is now, given a much larger margin for error, will the top teams dominate even more? How right? long will it take for like that? How will, how will Georgia not make the playoff? Right. <laughs> how, how will Ohio State or Michigan, assuming that Sheryl Moore can pick up a hardball left up, how will they never be in a playoff? Right. you got seven at-large bids, right? After you give the five auto bids, seven at-large bids, very likely – Six of them are going to be divvied up between the SEC and the Big Ten expanded leagues. So you're going to have third and fourth place teams in the leagues in the playoff, which means you're going to have a few losses, and you're going to have teams do what the Chiefs do, right? right? Stumble around, look like garbage for a number of games this year, and then flip a switch. Now, not everybody has Patrick Mahomes, but you get my point. (laughs) You're going to have teams that are going to peak at the right time and be the college version of a wild card team making the national championship game. How long will it be before the Super Conference with all the NIL money? Oh man, I mean, I, I mean, when, when the lawsuit hits the fan, and and the class action suit that the players have brought looking for back pay for all these other years, that's going to be the real thing that's going to bankrupt the NCAA and be a, a massive shift in the sport. I don't know enough about the legalities that to know when that's going to happen, the appeals process, but. That's sort of like what's coming down the tracks at the sport in the future. And, you know, NIL unregulated. I mean, my broadcast partner on Saturday nights, Kirk, has talked a lot about the the sport being in free fall or spiraling out of control. And he's certainly not the only one that feels that because you've got coaches now fleeing college, going to the NFL because they don't want to deal with it. Right. They don't want to deal with re-recruiting your roster every week because of the rampant tampering. The portal is one thing. What about guys who aren't even thought about going in the portal, getting, getting bombarded with DMs and texts saying, hey, we want you, we're going to drop this bag on your doorstep if you come play for us. We know that's going on. Yeah, we saw it. UNLV's quarterback, Jaden uh, Mayava, he was said, I'm staying, coming back seven days later, transferred to Georgia. Then decided he was going to USC, <laughs> not Georgia. So we saw that firsthand here. And that's just going to be repeated times 100, man. Yeah, I'm yeah. staying, I'm staying, I'm staying, I'm leveraging, I'm leveraging, I'm leveraging, right? That's what you really mean when you say I'm staying. <laughs> um, I personally love the idea 
of the third or fourth best team in the SEC going to the playoff because I went to Ole Miss, and that is exactly who Ole Miss has been for about five years, so bring it on. Well, if, if, and that's what sports about is self-interest. Yes. You've, you've, just yes. summarized, <laughs> you've just summarized what shapes the decision in this sport. What's best for me? Yes. I'm a fan of this team, so I like that. I mean, just be prepared to spend every year if you're yep. Ole Miss. Yep. I mean, you're spending really well now. Yeah, Blake yeah. Don't, don't, don't let that NIL money dry up because oh. you're in the deep end of the pool. Let me ask you, because what I'm used to, Ole Miss, there's a good start. They're ranked like 14th. They play Alabama. They lose by five touchdowns. That's yeah, outside ah, they of – They played them tougher than that. Some, they on, they score first often, and then they give up like four I've straight called, unanswered. I've called Ole Miss beating Alabama. And they, it happened twice in teams. a row. It was yeah. very exciting. And then they would lose to Kentucky those years or something <laughs> like that. But I'm used to, all right, they might be good. Alabama beats them. But – they're kind of in some preseason top five, top yeah. six is going into this next top season. Top ten. I put them in top ten. Is, is it – should I get my hopes up that, like, oh, well, the playoff is expanded, so they should be in that way. But should you I get my hopes up You should always get your hopes up. Yeah, no, That's I shouldn't. That's what football is. No. Yes, you should. You should always – this offseason is long, right? It used to be more boring. Now it's pins and needles every day. But that's what the offseason's for is getting your hopes up. You know, buy in. Buy in. Crushed I went, when they lose in September. Yes, you know. <laughs> I went to San Diego State. I can't buy in. <laughs> All right, there's limitations. Yes, exactly. There's limitations to my. Theory. We're not making that 45 conference. I, I, you're, <laughs> you're not, you're 45 not spending team. the way Ole Miss is spending <laughs> exactly, right exactly. now. So. There's no bags at San Diego State. <laughs> so on the Super Bowl, I I did want to ask you going into this. Um, do you have any sort of expectation? Because I'll say from my perspective. Chiefs, not that impressive in the regular season. They got a high bar for themselves, but not that impressive. But they've been great in the playoffs. And I don't really know, did they flip a switch and this is just who they, they are have again? Bad Patrick Mahomes, yeah. right? And then the 49ers haven't looked as good in the playoffs. They're still here, but were dominant throughout the regular season. So I don't, I don't really know. Like, the 49ers are favored by two and a half, but I don't know if that feels right. Like, I don't really have a great expectation as to who I think should be favored or who should be winning the Super Bowl. Me neither, Bowl. actually. It's basically a toss-up, right? You see a number like that. You pick the team you think is going to win. But I, I think that the Niners have, have been dominant in the regular season. They've been dominant when they've had to be in the playoffs. They've started really slowly. And even that great defense has given up 30-plus a few games. And they got rocked by the Lions' speed right. early on. And you're thinking, oh, my God, they, they're, they're down 17. They don't panic. They play Niner football in the second half, and they come back and win. So I wouldn't panic if one team falls behind because both teams have a ton of belief in themselves. And, and feel they can overcome. Now, I don't think the Niners want to overcome a terrible half like they've had in both playoff games, actually. Yeah. So that's a bad formula when you're playing Mahomes and Kelsey and those guys are clicking. Expectation will be low scoring. Um, you know, you, you guys know the numbers, but taking the under in the second half is a real thing. Sure. And, and it, it, it's, I think Chiefs sure. are 18-2. and two. Throw a number out that I've heard this week, <laughs> and, and the the under winning in the second half. So their defense is so underrated that it's hard for us to look at that team and and really comprehend how good that defense is. And now that's really the personality of the team. That's why they're here. Mahomes couldn't couldn't score a touchdown against Denver, and I don't mean early season. That was like mid to late season. They put fourteen on the board against the Raiders. Lost to the so Raiders. This wasn't a thing where they they flipped the switch in three games and went on the road and. And, and played great, and could they do it again here Sunday? Yeah, but could some of the things that, that were reality for the whole regular season also come up? Pass protection, holding penalties, drops. Yeah, that could happen on Sunday too, and then they could look really mortal 
And then if that happens, not even 15 can rescue him. Well, he is Chris Fowler. Uh, if you're in Australia, New Zealand, or on a cruise ship, <laughs> you can hear Chris calling the game. Calling and Super DM Bowl me if you Sunday. are, by the way, because I want to know. I want to know who you are that we're talking to on Sunday. <laughs> Chris, thank you so much for thank joining you, us. Enjoy it, guys. It. Be well. Thank you. Nice of Chris Fowler to stop by and talk to us. Now we've got some tickets to give away to go see the Las Vegas Desert Dogs at Michelob Ultra Arena inside the Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino, where we are. Uh, there will be a special performance as well by the world-famous Mini Kiss, and you'll have a chance to win a limited edition framed, autographed, and numbered end-of-the-road Kiss Tour poster or $1,000 in cash. All of that brought to you by Dollar Loan Center. You can get your tickets now at LasVegasDesertDogs.com or win a pair from us right now. 702-364-1100. That is the phone number. Caller number three at 702-364-1100 is taking home a pair of tickets to see the Las Vegas. Quick sticks it to center and Paul Cotter. Eventually to Stone. To Stevenson now. He shoots. He scores! 3-1 Vegas. 13.43 to go in the first period. Chandler Stevenson on the rush, showing off the speed. Now, back out to Radio Row with Tyler and Ed. Ed, they got to trade Jack uh, Here we go. They got to trade go. Jack hot, Eichel. Hot, uh, hot take Tyler. Jonathan Marcheseau scored, scored again. again. I know. He's got 9-9. Nine nine. Barbashev, Wah, and Marcheseau. Why don't they not trade him but put him on a lower line when I, he comes you back? Know, he's too expensive. What do you put him on a lower line? Where are you going to yeah. put him? Where are you going to put him? Just make your depth that much better. He's no William Carlson. He's no Chandler Stevenson. And he's no Nick Waugh. Well, Nick Waugh's on the top line. I know. You can't pay it. You can't pay Jack Eichel $10 million to be on the fourth line. That's the only place he can play right now. you got to trade him. He's got to get out of here. This line is too good, Ed. They're too good. Best line in the NHL? They were actually quite bad last night. The expected numbers, they were the worst line the Golden Knights had. Uh, as far as like allowing high danger chances and scoring chances and stuff, but they scored a goal. And that's all that matters to me because they continue to score those three. They, it's it's unreal how good they've been since Jack Eichel got hurt. It's unreal how good Jonathan Marchessault is. Been. Yeah, guy's unbelievable. Nine goals I mean, in nine games. He won the Con Smythe last year playing with Jack Eichel in the postseason, and now right. they get rid of that Jack Eichel guy, and he's even better. He's on. He's back on pace. By the way, to score forty-one, he's scoring a, a goal every other game. Is what he's done so far. So he's back on pace to get to 41. He needs to up that a little bit to get us to 44 and make me right about him passing William yeah, Carlson. Yeah, going to be right. I mean, he's going to go under it. Yeah, the problem is, he's is gonna that. He's going to go under 43. The problem is he's on his hot streak right now, and he's still not on pace to get there. Right. Because he's going to. He's going to cool off. Right. He's not going to score 9-9 nine and nine like he has been. So that's probably not going to happen. Uh, I'm going to need like a, you know, back-to-back hat tricks type situation right. to have a legitimate shot at that. But. That that line without Eichel, I'm telling you, you don't need $10.5 million going to Eichel. You got Nick Waugh playing for like three or whatever the hell he's getting. It's a way better deal. It's never going to happen. Trade him away. If they it's keep scoring, happen. I've told you before I'm kind of joking. If I keep coming on here every day, if they play, I think, again on Monday against Minnesota, Minnesota if, they, if these three guys score again on Monday, I'm, I'm trade him. What are you doing? Get that guy out of here. You don't need him. The more interesting thing that happened last night, Zach Whitecloud yeah. was a healthy yeah. scratch. Yeah. So Daniil Miramanoff had not played since December 31st. He came back from injury, played in his first game last night. Zach Whitecloud came out of the lineup. Uh, Sinbin.Vegas reported before the game that it was not because of injury. Now, after the game partially because 
did it, nobody went and covered this game, I don't think. Every, nobody in Vegas, everybody's here, right? So there was no local media, I think, that went and covered this game. So it was just the team media that was there. Apparently nobody asked Bruce Cassidy about this. About why Zach Gleichlode was a healthy scratch. Right. So we don't, we didn't, Cassidy didn't get a chance to say, oh, he is hurt. Right. Or I took him out because of this reason or whatever. We didn't get that. So instead, according to Vegas, that's what we've got to go on right now. He was a healthy scratch last night for Danil Miramanov. And he's a right-handed defenseman. The Golden Knights have four healthy right-handed defensemen right now. Petrangelo, obviously, is your top guy. The two other guys that played ahead of him just on the right side, Caden Korzak, Korzak and then Danil Miramanov. Is Zach Whitecloud bad now? That was a uh, the fact that he wasn't the fact that he was scratched over Korzak. I thought I thought was strange. I think well. it's strange that you'd bring Man, in Miramanov for Cor- for White Cloud. I mean, I his his analytics this year have been pretty good, right? He hasn't been like some superstar player. Are but we missing his, something? I that's what I'm trying to figure out. What am I missing here? Has he not been as good as Cassidy expected or wanted or anything like that? Because that's a strange one to scratch again when. Korzak and Miramanov are there, right? It's not like, I mean, I don't know, even if they're at full strength, you, you wouldn't expect him to be scratched right, or anything right. like that. So, I don't know. That's, that's fascinating to me. Absolutely fascinating to me because. Now, we'll find out more when the local media gets to talk to him. Right, when they come ask, back, when they ask. play. Well, I guess they no, probably they'll, they'll have something. Practice. They'll yeah. practice. So yeah, will, they'll be will anybody to... be going? Come on, the Super Bowl's here, Ed. Now there'll be people And they're going to have there'll practice on there. Sunday because the Lions didn't make the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the bums over there means the Golden Knights have to practice. So. We will presumably find out more in the next two or three days before that game against Minnesota. But, like, what happens when Shea Theodore comes back? He's left-handed, but they will play guys on the opposite right, end, depending right. on what they need. How far down the pecking order is Zach White, White Cloud right when they're fully healthy? Well, if he's getting healthy scratch now, he's going to be bumped down even more. And here's, here's the thing. Trade him. At the deadline? If you think Korzak and Miramanoff are better... What, what are you doing? You're keeping him around because you might have injuries? I guess that's valid. Well, that's always a possibility. <laughs> Lower and upper body. <laughs> but, like, that that seems like if you if you think that Miramanov and Korzak are better, trade away Zach Whitecloud. He's making $2.75 million. It's not a lot, but that's, that's more. So you're I mean, getting rid of Eichel and you're getting rid of Whitecloud. I mean, I'm getting of Eichel because the other guys keep scoring, and they clearly don't need Eichel. <laughs> They keep winning games without him. They keep scoring. <laughs> I'm trading White Cloud because Bruce Cassidy doesn't think he's good. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see what Cassidy has to say about that.